Welcome to the 184th episode of the Young Terps podcast from the Viner Fourgate studio. This is your host, Mason Viner, and on his first episode on the Young Terps podcast, joining me is Jack Rothenberg. Hey, Mason, how's it going? I'm excited to get this going. I am too. Jack, as I announced in Jordan's last episode, will be stepping in uh, for Jordan's role. He's been writing on TerpTalk.com, all the basketball games this year, and a guy that's been on the Terp Talk team for a while. I'm excited to have him. And we're going to skip the rundown just because it's been so long since we've done the last episode. But the Terps won a big game last night against Minnesota, Jack. What do you think? Yeah, it was probably the be- their best game that they played all year. And they got contributions from all around. Four players scored in double figures. And Wiggins led the way with 17 points. I just thought basically wire to wire, except for the final five minutes. It got a little scary at the end. But they played, they played a very good game last night. They did. I thought this is the kind of the vision uh, that Coach Turgeon and Coach Brady, the kind of guys that run the offensive side of the basketball, were looking for. Uh, Turgeon was critical of the players going into this game, saying that they're just not getting it done. They're not, you know, all the classic Mark Turgeonisms of, you know, the team's kind of just not doing what he wants them to do. But he kind of got a look, and they do have Minnesota's number. I'll acknowledge that. They, they beat him up. In Minneapolis, they beat him up here. But this, you have to imagine, Jack, is kind of the vision that they're looking for. They played the small ball perfectly. They got more out of Galen Smith than they ever than they ever have. Yeah, definitely. Like you said about Galen Smith, they, he didn't start. But once he came in, he gave them good effort and production. And I, I like how Turgeon's been switching back and forth from that small ball lineup, playing big at times against bigger teams. Because the Big Ten, filled with big, big men. And even starting small last night, they were able to get Liam Robbins into foul trouble, which helped them out. They actually out-rebounded Minnesota. So I, I like what Turgeon's doing, putting in the small ball lineup, switching it out, even bringing Marcel off the bench at times. Just Hakeem mm-hmm. Hart started. I think he's done a very good job coaching up this team this year. I would have to agree. I, I find it very odd in the sense that I think it's his best coaching job yet, but not because the team is – good really or bad and and it's really hard to judge because of that and I know this is the conversation across the board on all the Maryland fan sites and in Terps Town Hall which our friend Ben Page started on Facebook it's hard to judge the team because you're like I, I like the way it's coached but the personnel issues are also the coach's fault so it's really hard to evaluate in that way but the guy that I've kind of pointed out and seen has grown up a lot this season has to be Aaron Wiggins you know, he started off strong in this game. I think he was six for eight at one point in the first half, uh, near the end of the first half with over 10 points. And you got to love what you're seeing from him. Yeah, I think the biggest growing point was for him was everyone coming in the year was talking about how he was the reigning big, big 10, sixth man of the year coming into the starting role. He was supposed to be the leading scorer. And at the start of the season, he didn't play, play very well. He wasn't scoring like he was used to. But as the season progressed, he got back to his usual ways him and Ayala, him, Ayala, Marcel kind of brought this team together. And I think they're, they're trending upwards towards March. Yeah. And the full stat line in him, he plays 39 minutes, which is really impressive. Six for 13 on the game, three for five from three hits both of his foul shots that, that totaled him at 17 points, two assists and five boards. So another strong showing from Wiggins. Uh, you also mentioned Eric Ayala who played 34 minutes was four for seven from the field, knocked down four threes, uh, which gave him 12 points. No Terp, uh, other than Wiggins, who had 17, really exploded in this game. But, and going back to one of our first points, I think it was the first time this year that you saw a strong performance um, from the team as a whole. 
you know, nobody was letting them down in this game. Nobody had a terrible game. And that's almost rare to see from Mark Churchin at this point. The bigger picture, Jack, of course, is their bid at the NCAA tournament. They sit at 11-10 right now in the best conference in the country. Uh, were they in the next four out coming in? Yeah, they were, yeah. So after this win against Minnesota, where do you see them? And what do you think they have to do? Yeah, so they got six games left, all against unranked opponents. Now that Rutgers from this past rankings is now out. So they've got two back-to-back games against Nebraska coming up this week. I think they got to take care of business against both of those. All these teams remaining are teams that are under them in the Big Ten conference standings. So they, they really should be able to beat all of them. But to have a really good shot at getting into the tournament, I think they need to win at least five of these last six games. Yeah, and the term going into the last game was, I think, seven of nine, which is where kind of everybody everybody sits. I'm pressed to say that if they can win these next two games, the back-to-back against Nebraska, and if you go back or for a long-time listeners, we talked to Eric Hayes about the back-to-back games and kind of what the effect, what he thought from playing college basketball, what the effect might be. And we kind of disagreed on that point, and I'm interested to hear your take. What do you think happens because my view of it is I kind of look at it like an NBA back-to-back the first game will be pretty pretty standard I think the second game at least in my opinion uh, has has that chance to be like 88 to 87 you know it's really high scoring a lot of fouls a lot of foul shots and and you'll really see which team is deeper what do you think happens back-to-back against Nebraska yeah I definitely haven't paying attention to that because it's been mostly in the NBA where you see these teams go because of COVID, they play two back-to-back games, same, same arena, two different nights back-to-back. I, I think it's a different story here just because Nebraska's one and nine in the conference. Maryland has, like I said, trending upwards. I think they, they're going to take care of business in these two games like they should. And I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to. I, I really hope so. But you got to say, Nebraska one and nine in the conference, as you just pointed out, but they just got that one. And it was a Odd ending. I'm not sure if you saw any of it, but a really weird game. I think down the stretch, Nebraska or Penn State, it was one or the other. Todd was texting me during it. He was saying, um, I think Nebraska made one basket down the last seven minutes and then caught fire at the end of the game and won because Penn State was so bad or something like that. But Maryland's had trouble with games like this. You know, you go, you open the book, go back into the past. They played Nebraska uh, to keep the, keep the teams relevant one year either December 31st or January 1st or 2nd uh, and it was the year where they had Herder, Fernando and, and I think Melo Trimble and they just blew it they did they didn't score down the stretch you know they've had games like that last year if you want to go back to the near Big Ten championship outright Big Ten championship I should say uh, where they lost what was it three or four out of five and, and they've just had moments like this where teams have given them trouble but this team's different in a lot of ways you know it's the same yet different yeah and my thing is if they can't win both of these games, I don't think they deserve to be in the tournament because, and it w- I, like you said, I think it would be a Maryland thing to lose, lose one of these games, but if they do lose one of them, I don't think they deserve to be in the tournament. No, because, and there's the reason, and I agree with you more on that kind of like you watch the team and you think that the net rankings, the Ken Palm rankings is the other place you have to look. Um, going back to Penn state, using them as an example, and you can even apply this one to Maryland. You beat a team like Nebraska, you don't move up in those you know, you know, kind of tiered rankings that factor in all the quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four wins. But you do drop something like eight spots if you lose to them. So coming up in the next 
you know, a couple of games, other than the fact that you want to win, you're an athlete, all that stuff. If you're looking at the tournament picture of it, you know, it's almost that wins help you because it will make your record look better in this case and get conference wins will be important for the conference tournament. But if you lose one of these games, like you just said, it's done, you know, they're not recovering. They don't have those games against the top five team. They can win, you know, that will bring you those eight rank eight points back in the rankings either way, but they, they are in trouble if they lose. And I, I don't think, uh, like you said, they deserve to be in looking at this game from, from a different perspective, from the more basketball perspective is Nebraska is fairly fresh. You know, and, and almost luckily enough, it's a back-to-back because Nebraska is a team that hadn't played for COVID for, I think it was about a month, and they're just getting back into basketball. What do you think the kind of Cornhusker effect is right now? You know, do you haven't played in a long time. How, how would you look at it? Well, I definitely think going back to what we were talking about earlier, with them being one and nine, I don't think it's a good thing that they haven't played in a while because they just got that, that one win and mm-hmm. – you want to build that confidence once you get a win. So not having played in a while, I don't think that's going to be great for them. Maryland just played at home last night. They're staying here. They'll stay here for those two games. I, I think it. Maryland is in a good position right now. I would think so. If you're Nebraska, the one thing you have to look at, and they did play that game against Penn State, I think the day before Maryland, and they probably are staying on the East Coast. I'm not sure with COVID what the logistics of that. They came directly down to Maryland, or if they went back to Nebraska, now they have to come back East either way they're away from home a while or they're just stopping quickly back there for the Nebraska team. I think closing the book in a way and then reopening it, you know, could play into their, could play into their effect. You know, you get the good momentum going. You can almost say, and this is one thing going into this season that I was looking at. You could almost say if the season pauses for COVID and you're not playing well, and you take a break like a Nebraska for a really long extended period of time, you're almost playing with house money completely after it. You know, there's no expectation that you're going to win any games after that. You know, you're going to be playing teams that have been playing consistently or, you know, even getting games or practices in, and you're going to be this kind of dark horse out there. Like they haven't played in a while, you know, nobody knows what to expect from us. And I almost feel for Nebraska getting that game one win was such a big deal for them that I have no idea what to expect. I can expect that they're a bad team based on the previous results, but in terms of film, what they could have changed and stuff like that. Uh, I don't really know what Coach Turgeon and his staff has to look at, but I do feel that they'll they'll come up with something to play into, you know, their, whoever they feel can make it happen for them on, on whatever night. That's one thing that I have liked is they've kind of been able to switch up who, who's getting the ball a lot. But I think as we come down the stretch, Ayala and Wiggins are going to be the guys. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And Nebraska is playing with house money throughout the rest of the, the the regular season and even going into the Big Ten Conference tournament. Whoever they beat, it can really affect them. We said Maryland, if they beat Maryland, I don't think they should, Maryland should be in the tournament. Going further down the line in the Big Ten tournament, let's just say they beat a Indiana, someone like that, or a, or a Minnesota. Maybe yeah, that even Minnesota knocks them in, in like the first round of the tournament. Maybe that knocks them out of the um, NCAA tournament. So mm-hmm. I think you're right. They're definitely playing with house money, and they can they can spoil some parties. And, Jack, that game last night reminded me of one, and you just saying that it kind of the Nebraska team beating you could negatively affect that, and then you brought up Minnesota being almost a bubble team at this point, if not a bubble team. Did that game remind you at all? I'm not sure if you'll remember this one. Maryland beat like a number 24th ranked NC State at the buzzer on Alex Len Tippin one year. 
that game last night kind of, and it wasn't close and Minnesota isn't ranked anymore, but it kind of had that same feeling. Maryland was on the bubble that year. Uh, they needed that win and NC state had just lost three or four games in a row. I almost got that exact same feeling about Minnesota last night. They're kind of on the way out. They might slip into the tournament, but just the way they've been playing recently reminds me of that NC state team and, and the, you know, they're just falling off the cliff in, in terms of Minnesota. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't really have an explanation with what's going on with Minnesota because when Maryland went up to Minnesota and we played, they were number seven at 17 at that point, they looked like they were a lock to make the tournament. And we went up there, we beat them. And I honestly, I don't know what happened. They just haven't been playing well as of recently and we'll see what happens down the road. Yeah. And that was after Maryland played them. I guess they had lost a midweek game, but the weekend before that Minnesota really beat Michigan. I think it was at home. They locked down Hunter Dickinson and they looked like they were going to be the best team, but I think that kind of covers basketball for the show. We got some football to talk about uh, changes coming to the program. But before we get to that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin party rental resource. Allied is what you need. Whether you're hosting uh, an event outside safely, they have tents, chairs, linens, china, and other materials to host your event as safely as possible. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV today, Allied, you can reach Allied at 301-986-0067 or on the web at alliedpartyrentals.com. Uh, now to football, Jack. The Terps bring in a new defensive coordinator, but at the same time an old defensive coordinator, Brian Stewart from Baylor. Uh, for you Terp fans that have been following the team, I guess, through the Randy Etzel era, as painful as that was, uh, you kind of remember coach Stewart uh, I think he was with the Terps for one or two years but uh, they were two of the better years during Randy Etzel's time uh, a guy that's known as an aggressive player do you think this one fits into coach Loxley's vision yeah I definitely think it does I think it's a great hire and while he's been a bit of a journeyman not not staying too long wherever he goes I think it's gonna fit he's gonna fit in well and it's, it was a good hire yeah I would agree and I didn't know what the fan base would think of this, but from reading a lot of, uh, I guess, our listeners' comments on different places and things like that, um, people are okay with this. You know, people thought that his defense was good enough. He's been some different places now, and, and he can apply. Of course, coaching is always a nonstop learning thing, you know, and if you talk to a guy like Loxley that's been all over the place, you never stop learning. So for Coach Stewart, you know, he, he leaves Maryland, a guy that was with the Cowboys, with Baylor, you keep picking different things up. You know, you see how it's done by different people in different places. And Coach Stewart has got to take some of those and say, you know, here's what I think I can do with Maryland. The one thing Maryland's defense did really well, and I think you and I, Jack, can both agree on this, is it didn't work game one, but after that they constantly adapted and played into their strengths. And I think having a guy who's aggressive mind and can really, you know, pump this team up in a lot of ways that Coach Hope didn't, and he's moving up to the NFL – uh, can really help, you know, being aggressive, getting after it. If you want to win a lot of games in this conference in your Maryland, you have to be aggressive. Yeah, with all the recruits that are coming in, all the four stars, five stars up front and the linebacker positions, I think him being aggressive is really going to pay dividends with this with this team and this freshman class coming in. And that's another spot that Loxley has been focusing on as you kind of go around the staff. We already talked about uh, Coach Enos on, on a few podcasts ago but he's picking up a lot of recruiters and coach Stewart's definitely a guy that he's not the best recruiter, but he's more of a recruiter than John Hoke. He's a known figure in the area. He's recruited here before. Uh, he kind of helped some other teams recruit this area. So 
uh, another win in the recruiting department, but the biggest win in a, a recently announced hire, as it was first reported by Keith Cavanaugh of Terrapin Times. Coach spot Zon Burden, who's expected to take over for Joker Phillips, who left the team for NC State. Um, another spot that Coach Loxley was supposedly looking for more in, in the recruiting department. Phillips hadn't brought in many wide receivers, and uh, the Terps go out, they get a young mind, a guy who is a 757 recruiter, bringing that back really into the program. Chris Beatty, for those of you who follow recruiting, was a great recruiter down there. But really, you're starting to see the changes in the emphasis, Jack. Um, a lot more recruiting. Uh, a lot of, I guess, the way to put it is a lot of what people expected at Coach Loxie is now coming, going into year three. Yeah, and hopefully these are the found, these pieces are the foundation to build forward and they stay put and we actually start to pre, uh, build something pretty good here. Yeah, and I was talking to uh, Bruce about this and you know the kind of feeling around the fan base is and I have it too and I've talked about it a lot here is you really want to see continuity you know and, and they got that from year one to two and you know for all of us that watched year one of coach Loxley I couldn't really imagine any teams wanting those coaches either but now in year two to three you see the full effect of college football you know every time you see a little bit of success other programs attack it uh, whether you really are keen on keeping the guys and rolling to pay them more or not um, People take pieces of your staff. You know, college football is a really closed loop kind of place. Uh, it's not only on the position coaches for Maryland, their head of recruiting operations, Taylor Edwards, a guy who I really loved. He came from Arkansas, did a great job there. Uh, before that, he was somewhere else in the South. He goes back to South Carolina. So he's back in the SEC now. That's a big loss for Maryland. And you just kind of see it. And also in the strength and conditioning uh, department, Mason. Uh, Baguette, who was the assistant strength and conditioning coach for Maryland football, uh, he moves on to Oregon in the same role. So it's not only the position coaches, you see it across the board, but it's what happens. It's really how you move on, how you use your connection to either bring guys up or promote within your program, which Maryland's done both of, and keep the roles going. You know, keep you got to keep moving it forward. And you even look at it from a player perspective. Chance Campbell, a guy who's seen as a leader on this program, talked to the media almost after every game. Uh, he's on to Ole Miss. So things are changing, but the core guys like Loxley, Brawley Evans, Marcus Berry, um, Brian Williams, they're all still here. So you kind of got to just keep moving the best you can. Yeah, Mason, what what'd you, what was your takeaway about uh, Chance Campbell going to Ole Miss? What what would you think about that? I think for Chance, um, he wanted to go play for Durkin, really. I think that he was a Durkin guy. A lot of the Durkin guys are gone. If you were, you know, you kind of have to look at it from the age perspective, if, if, for older fans, if you can, I know that Jack and I understand this. A lot of your friends have moved on, you know, the program's changing, the people around it are changing, you know, you're from here and you want to play for the school, but you know, an opportunity came up to probably go back into getting the culture that you originally committed to. And the chance found that way to get, to get back to that. And, you know, it just happens to be at Ole Miss where his former coaches, but I think that a lot of the Durkin guys have just, they moved on, you know, and, and we all know that a lot of them are gone, but I think that he saw that things are changing. Recruits are coming in. The defensive style didn't really favor his playing anymore as great as his numbers were. And he just saw, takes the opportunity, you know, and I don't ever blame any of these college kids for doing that. Yeah. I definitely think Durkin played a big role right when I saw it. I just thought about how Maryland kept bringing in all these linebackers. And that's what I thought was the biggest driving point in him transferring. But then I realized, yeah, Durkin is probably the right move for him. And you kind of have to look at it from, from that perspective, as odd as it may be. You know, Chance was 
um, one of those guys that took to the Durkin coaching, you know, and I'm not saying in any of the really, really negative ways. I'm just saying, yeah, you look at a kid that was a two, three star player coming out of Calvert Hall in Baltimore. Year one, he's on the field at Maryland under Durkin. You know, you didn't really see that much with DJ, but you saw it with Chance Campbell and DJ. So, you know, as Maryland was bringing in more linebackers, as you pointed out, and, and as things are changing in Maryland, he kind of just moved on with it. You know, and, and you take that. He was a big leader on this team, con- contributed massively to it, and he's going to be most likely, I think, playing on Sundays. And there were rumblings of him transferring as soon as the season ended. And unfortunately, this happened. You know, Locks is going to keep a lot of guys here, but sometimes, you know, kids make the decision that they feel is best for him. And, you know, I, again, I'm going to always root for chance. I'm, I'm an old Miss guy. I like what they're doing down there. Uh, so I think that he's bound to play on Sundays. I think he can do big things in the SEC for a defense that was absolutely terrible last year. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that just gave you effort every play. He was all, he went, he was all over the field. Got you so many tackles every Saturday, but I agree with you. I think he's he's going to be on sun, playing on Sundays. He he's just bound to be. He's he's a great athlete, and mm-hmm. like I said, you just see him all over the field. Yeah, and I talked about this a lot uh, in other shows, and I think it really applies to Chance the most. Chances, or, or was when he was wearing the Maryland jersey, and you know he will be. I think when he's wearing the Ole Miss jersey, is as you just pointed out, an all effort guy. You know, he's the kind of guy that when you looked at what Maryland was getting. Uh, last year or two years ago, they needed more guys like Chance Campbell. They needed more guys like Jake Funk. And when you're looking to build a program like an Ole Miss or a Maryland is, picking those guys up, whether it's the transfer portal, or just recruiting them and finding that, finding those identifying key factors or key performance indicator if you're in sales anywhere um, is the term that's used. Finding guys like that is really important to building your program. And there's nothing but, you know, Maryland's got nothing but good things to say about Chance Campbell. And I think that a guy that's willing to give you that much effort belongs on Sundays. You know, he'll play special teams. He'll play linebacker. He really wasn't selfish about it. Uh, He just wanted to play football. And those guys are really valuable to this program. And I think they'll continue to be, you got to find more guys like that. If you really want to build the culture that Loxley talks about. And I think that, yeah, they lost one in chance, but they're doing great things on the recruiting trail. And they got still have guys like Fanage Gote in there. Uh, I know Allende Ely also moved on, but between Hippolyte, uh, Terrence Lewis, who they bring in, and Fanaje Gote, they'll be okay up the middle. And it really wasn't like if they lost Chance Campbell when he was playing defensive line, or in this case, running back, you know, one of the spots where they're really thin, I think that people will be a lot more upset. But since it's a spot where they're so strong, I'm not really sure how much it matters, even though Chance was a leader. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are your expectations for this upcoming year with all these new coaches? It's new uh, recruiting class. What can you expect for the Terps this upcoming season? I think really what you can expect is on all fronts, I think there are going to be slight adjustments to make it almost look more like Alabama than it did before, and that's almost hard to do at this point. But with Ennis and Loxley working together, I think it's a better match than Scotty Montgomery and Mike Loxley were. But when you look at the offense as a whole, not really much changed. A little bit of changes up front, but they already got guys slotted for those positions, throw out an Austin Fontaine or an Evan Gregory to fill in for Johnny Jordan and Marcus Minor. You know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens with the offensive line. But as far as skill position guys, they're going to have to find themselves a running back. I really like what they got at Penny Boone. But, you know, the quarterback's solid. I think the wide receivers are solid. Um, now, if QB1 goes down, I'm not sure where you go next. They're bringing in a guy from VMI. We'll see how that goes. On the defensive side of the ball, there's a lot. There's a little bit more change, you know, coming. Uh, Brian Williams and Brian Stewart 
will be your co-defensive coordinators. I still believe Williams will retain the co-role there and Stewart will pick up a co-role. Uh, we'll see how those two kind of guys mesh together, but an aggressive attacking defense, which is something that uh, when I talked to Loxley, when he originally on this first signing day, I had a chance to talk to coach. Uh, he said they wanted to be build an aggressive team. They weren't there yet. They didn't have the personnel. I think they do now. They're long on the outsides a lot, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're fast up the middle. But what they're missing, if you look at the Bucs compared to Maryland, is the defensive lineman. Who's going to give you that, you know, four-man pressures? I think those are still going to be your problems. You're going to have to blitz a lot. And when you have to blitz a lot, you're, you get exposed every once in a while. But I think you're looking at a team that can realistically win six, seven, eight games. Um, I'm sure as the season gets gets closer and hopefully we get out to practice, Jack, uh, I may be a little bit higher on that. But I, I think you're looking at a team that should compete for a bowl. Yeah, I'm really – the one thing I'm really excited to look look that I'm looking forward to is seeing the type of leap Rakeem Jarrett takes. He came in, five-star recruit, play, played pretty well in his freshman year. I'm mm -hmm. just really excited to see what he comes out and does in his sophomore season. I think you're looking at a guy that was a five-star, as you just say, coming in, had a five-star season as a freshman like kind of half season, uh, depending on how you count it. And you should really be able to expect that full first year. And I know people, depending on what the vaccine situation is with COVID and all that, people are going to be expecting next year, hopefully, to be that first full year. But you have to look at it right now. You know, you're getting close to spring football right now. COVID's still going on. You know, uh, Jack, you're on campus at Maryland. It's still not the same. Um. You know, this next year for football players and for all full sports athletes, it, whether they're playing their season now during the spring, which is completely weird, or if they're trying to get into something like spring football and offseason workouts, you're originally, you already have lost that full next season. You know, it's already gone. So I think the expectations still need to be tempered about the level of play, but you will be able to see uh, hopefully a more complete team with hopefully some fans in the stands. Yeah, I think like you're talking about moving into next season, the off-season workouts, the spring spring football practices, the spring game, I think could all be canceled potentially. So you might have to go into next season like we did this season, just going to these straight games, which could be interesting to see. But we'll, we'll have to see moving into the summer how that plays out. Yeah, and you got to look at it. And I know a lot of people look at the numbers of it. Um, when you're looking at a college athlete, that's like the last person to get the vaccination for COVID-19. And that is the most healthy set of humans possibly on, on the planet. You know, guys that are professional athletes and young uh, does not rank very high up and in, in it shouldn't in the tiers of who's getting the vac vaccination. So we'll see how that really plays out in terms of football and what the effect is, if at all any. I think um, the other thing that you have to factor in when you're talking about this is people – are getting used to this in college athletics. You know, I was talking to Jordan, who's in a program. Um, they're on month nine, coming up on month 10, coming up on a year of this, you know, pretty soon here. So things are starting to even out, you know, less kids are making stupid decisions. Less coaches are making stupid decisions. People are starting to get used to, okay, we did this last year. Here's how we can replicate it. And suddenly, you know, as Loxley always says, success leaves clues where you were successful in keeping everybody healthy. You can replicate where you didn't really like the way it worked. You can adjust. So there's going to be less of that. If COVID is still go on, if they're able to get these workouts in, if they can stay healthy, they're going to have more to go off of in terms of the playbook from last year. And that just about covers everything we want to get to today. Jack, anything, anything else to say? 
No, I'm excited to uh, see how the basketball season wraps up. We got, we're talking the six games left. I'm hoping they can win at least five of those to get in a good position for the Big Ten tournament and hopefully set themselves up to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and we'll be back here on the podcast after uh, the Terps hopefully beat Nebraska back-to-back nights. Uh, Jack, thanks for hopping on. Thanks for joining the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And if there were any audio quality issues with this episode, we'll get back to our normal setup going on forward. We did this one over Zoom, uh, which we've done before. Um, never really works out great. But for all of you fans listening, um, the audio quality will be back to normal next week. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Viner Four Gates in Rockville. Uh, for all of your business IT needs, Viner Four Gates is the place to go. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one Viner. Com and Allied Party Rentals for their continuing support uh, of the Young Terps podcast. And as always, to you, the listeners, thanks for listening.